What's good, everybody? This is Fraternal Football. I'm Cameron. I'm Zach. <laughs> All right. Welcome to episode 35. Happy mid-April. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mid-April. Go, uh, go uh, um, get yourself a uh, Pineapple Express shake at Jack in the Box today for no apparent reason. Yeah, no reason at all. It's not a specific date or anything. Not specific to today at all. Not not one bit. <laughs> yeah, and there's no reason Pineapple Express would be associated with any date, but uh, let alone a day in April, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but happy happy mid April. Happy mid April. This is also Cameron. <laughs> and. Uh, Kind of another slower week. We did get kind of a bomb today, though. You want to oh, bring yeah. us bring us into that one, Cam? We got we got Debo. We got Debo. Specifically, Debo request Samuel requesting a trade. Just in case you confused it with the other Debo from Friday, not same guy. He did dress like him for Halloween though. But the receiver Debo. At, on the 49ers, asked for a trade in what kind of came out of left field. But maybe not really if you look at the wide receiver market. Uh, I think we've had a lot of speculation on guys like Debo, uh, A.J. Brown, really literally any big-time receiver who is due for a contract in the next like year or two is now under the microscope of speculation. Uh, on a constant basis until they're either signed, traded, or whatever else. But yeah, today Debo made his apparent trade request public, or it was made public through the media. And a lot of ramifications follow from that specifically. The 49ers and the wide receiver one market yet again. What do you what do you think uh the reason might be for that, Zach? What what do you think he requested a trade? I this is obviously pure speculation. I know he tweeted something uh that was kind of very unrevealing in any way. He did not confirm nor deny anything. <laughs> so we don't have a lot to work with, but I'm thinking there and and we talked about this uh, before we were on air, and I kind of started to think, uh, or I I got a kind of a maybe a small epiphany. I don't know if a lot of you guys noticed that Brandon Ayuk towards the end of the season was getting a lot of traction and doing a lot of the same stuff that Debo was doing really well early in the year but uh i think there's all this talk about debo getting paid and brandon Ayuk was the most recent first round pick receiver so there's kind of maybe a changing the guard in a sense because debo's the one eligible for the money and they kind of are using him in a different way. They're not really seeing him as a full-time receiver, uh, which could be also another reason why he wants out. 
and is one of the speculated reasons. But I would uh, say that I think because he's not seeing full-time at receiver and he doesn't see – they uh, clearly don't value him as only a pure receiver, whereas in other guys like Ayuk, for example, have been kind of in the only the receiver role, then it, it's kind of – soured it a little bit because Debo probably feels unsure of what they're going to offer him contract wise. If they see him as a running back, I know there's reports saying the 49ers would, uh, would have given him anything, but I think it's also easy for them to say that after he's already requested a trade Mm. so that they could just make him look bad, you know? And I think a lot of teams jump at the chance to do that very thing. I mean, almost every contract dispute. So those, yeah. those are my main reasons. Yeah, I would. Uh, I I'd preface anything I would say also as as speculation. Unlike the very clickbaity articles I clicked on, that said Debo said this, and I read the article, he did not he did not say like virtually anything at all. So he he'd even say from what I understand that he did request a trade, but apparently that's what is going around everywhere and i would say i believe that he did uh and that would be almost the only thing i'm sure of (laughs) uh i would also echo zach's uh statements about him part of the reason being dissatisfaction with his role as a running back wide receiver hybrid player um because at least from a player's perspective, if you're looking out for your own best interests, and that would mean being in the league longer and thereby making more cash um, and having more success statistically, better opportunities or more opportunities for uh, championships or accolades, um, then yeah, that being a running back at least part of the time and almost having as many catches as, uh, or almost having as many carries, I'm sorry, as catches, uh, 59 rushing attempts last year, 77 catches, um, 1,405 yards receiving, uh, and 365 yards rushing. So effective on both fronts. Uh, an insane kind of catch average now that I think about it almost 20 right Um, but yeah if you're carrying the ball you're you're taking hits that running backs take even if you're being schemed open which I know is part of it Uh, so from that standpoint I get that there's probably some dissatisfaction there Uh, regardless it is kind of a a catch-22 because that's where a lot of his value comes in is his versatility in that regard so that's just really almost impossible to separate. And I don't know if that, it, it, I'd, I'd wager that has something to do with it. I, but I'd also think that there's something else that we just don't know that will eventually come to light uh, because there's just not a lot of details out there. And I think part of it or the root of the deal is kind of that thing that really all of us have uh, in our workplaces where it's just kind of that constant negotiation really with, you know, 
the, the person above you writing the checks. It's kind of a game you play, you know, you're trying to maximize your income and your value and they're trying to maximize the, the value they can, um, you know, extract and to make the whole operation successful while, you know, managing their ends. So it's kind of that, that back and forth from the team and the player, but the only difference is that this is just magnified on a greater scale. So we all know about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it, it's an interesting saga and I think we're, we're far from the finish. Uh, definitely. I think this kind of came out of left field for me. A little bit. And yeah. uh, I don't know. He's playing for one of those, uh, pardon the voice crack, <laughs> uh, <laughs> premier brands in sports, you know? Uh, Easy. 49ers are very successful over their history. And you typically, guys don't really request trades from teams like that, you know? So I it just kind of caught me by surprise. I mean, the only thing I saw was just that kind of, clickbaity bleach report article that says that names every receiver under the sun who is due for a contract in the next couple of years as potential trade candidates now that two such receivers have been traded but you know, what can you really gather from that i do think uh the media especially over the last couple of years has kind of put this premium on receivers that I just kind of haven't seen. I think the league is telling you that, that they're kind of expendable. Um, and I think there's always a certain type of team that kind of brings in receivers. Not, I mean, big name receivers like trades for them. And uh, I know your team is kind of one of these teams. That's okay. I know. I know where we're at. Um, but uh, it's kind of like a similar situation we were talking about with the Colts. You try to patch things with players, and a lot of the kind of sexy patch is a wide receiver. So PR. There's a certain kind of team that does it. The Raiders are kind of notoriously this. The Cowboys are also this kind of team. The team that's there trying are, to make up for something. There are several. The Seattle Seahawks are kind of this kind of team. Not necessarily the receiver, but they always kind of try to go for that splashy pick, or they have in the past. Probably why they were so quick to trade Russell was Russell Wilson, but uh, yeah, I I don't I don't know if that's necessarily a good formula, and I I think Bleach Report's quick to jump to like oh this might be a trend, but I I think it it's not really a trend amongst a lot of teams. It's only really a trend amongst a certain type of team, and it's kind of the same teams. Over and over. Typically, yeah, I, I, I would kind of, I would interject to say that I would argue that the 49ers would be one of those teams that would otherwise tr be trading for that kind of receiver because they don't have the lead. Oh, no. the center. So I, I think, think they're they not really that receiver. I wouldn't say they're really a trade heavy guy. The only guy off the top of my head that I think they traded for Jimmy G, but they didn't really give up much. No, I, I, what, what I mean is that they're playing catch up with the Rams. Like the Raiders are playing catch up with the Chiefs and the Broncos and the Chargers 
and the Dolphins are playing catch up with the Bills and the Patriots. I could see that actually when you put it like that, you know. Uh, so they're kind of an outlier in this if you're make trying to uh, graft a trend out of these uh, three potential moves. Yeah, it also makes me think that uh, maybe there's a little collusion going on. A little bit of no, talking maybe. amongst players. Well, there we'll, uh, might be a quarterback who wants him that we're not aware of yet. That's what I That could be it. It could be just like he identified a situation that, that he likes better, even though his current one maybe isn't um, terrible, but maybe it's just not ideal. Yeah, I mean, I made the joke to Cameron earlier that uh, maybe Pat Pat Mahomes DM'd him and was like, hey, wink, wink. But, I mean, maybe something <laughs> like that did happen. You know? Okay. If if that were the case <laughs> and uh, and he goes to Kansas City, then all of us who, including myself, who, who just down-talked them for trading Tyree Kill is going to get a sock in their mouth. <laughs> well, to me, if they, if they traded Tyree Kill and then end up with Debo, I'm just going to think downgrade. Yeah, oh, yeah, but I mean... And I'm going to think, what's the point? Like, I, I guess it's kind of a... a I would argue it's a, a modest downgrade, but in the context of also adding some nice depth receivers, it's not terrible. It's probably just a, a swap, but I think what would not make sense would be that they would have to pay him a lot so yeah exactly (laughs) yeah it's kind of like if that that's why you didn't want to keep hill like why would you bring in Debo? right and then pay him probably the same yeah but i was just joking i mean i i think if a team is to trade for him it's definitely more uh, uh i don't know man it's a, a it's kind of tricky the, right the now. Jets, the Jets hype train. We on the, or if, I know that always pops up on on BR. The I Jets are trying it, to trade for uh, the guy from the Titan, AJ Brown. The Jets are trying to trade for Debo Samuel. I could see that. <laughs> I don't know if it'll happen, maybe. but I could see that they they express interest. <laughs> I think there's like at least. That at least more of a connection considering the Jets OC used to be in San Fran. Uh, and uh, he's turning. Yeah, he's also familiar with the head coach having been on that team. But uh, I don't know. I think the Jets don't really pull off trades, at least not particularly well. They, they did Although, pull off one. Yeah, the Jamal Adams trade, I'll admit, was pretty good. <laughs> Although I blame the Seahawks for just being dumb more than the Jets being smart. That's true. Well, there's also the wrinkle that, and I believe this part too, that the 49ers reportedly want, and I quote, a King's ransom for Debo Samuel. (laughs) I think that's going to have to include multiple first rounders, probably at least two. But two firsts in, in the second. Two firsts and two seconds. If that's the case, I'd be really hard pressed if I'm a team to trade for a receiver. I think that's what I don't think it'd be realistic, but I think they, they would probably ask for something like that. 
Yeah, I mean, especially Adams is kind of a special case simply because of the deep, way deeper connection that he had with Carr on top of uh, being arguably the best receiver in the league, if not number two. I mean, I'd at least say that's that that would be the safest of the the wide receiver moves. Uh, we oh, we yeah, don't know what Tyree Kill is going to do with Miami. I I think he'll be fine, but I would I would take the the long term connection. And then Debo, I I think we both agree would would be maybe fine elsewhere, but uh, not not the Debo that we saw last year anywhere else. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, we were kind of talking about this earlier, too, before the pod, but uh, this could be it for Debo. This could be peak. (laughs) I mean, 1,400 yards is quite a lot, and a lot of guys never, ever get close to that. Yeah, like 1775 total. There's been a lot of guys who hit that early on and never get back to that, like a lot. I think this came out at that time specifically. He's trying to sell high on himself, and that's smart. (laughs) Yeah, and I I don't blame him. Yeah. But, yeah, what you brought up, like, Josh Gordon and and who else? Some other guys? Yeah, Juju Smith. Uh Uh-huh. Juju Smith, uh, Josh Gordon, Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace is still kind of good, but I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, he he was he was my fan. Jeremy Macklin, okay, Jeremy Macklin, Alshon <laughs> Jeffrey, yep. Um, let's see. But I mean, the the point of that would be at least that there there are there is a concrete trend of wide receivers reaching peaks kind of early. This is what three years in. Um, yeah, or at about this time, right? And uh, quite reasonably, uh, or at least logically, selling high or trying to maximize what they can while they know that this is probably their top. Um, and yeah, no, no accident. I think that this came out. Yeah. The 49ers, of course, um, are trying to do their best to. Um, balance what they will probably offer or have offered with expectations and what they have to look forward to it's not going to be easy to keep that nfc title game core together especially if brandon Ayuk turns out to be really awesome as as zach has noted i'm thinking my uh i made a prediction this is a uh, geared toward fantasy and it was kind of a a duck, lame duck pick, but uh, he had a lot of I thought ones. he was going to kind of have the year that Debo had, not with the running, but with the receiving. I thought he was going to be a good player. Toward the end of the year, he was picking up a lot of steam. Makes me uh, very optimistic for him. But I'm yeah, thinking I, I was a, a year too early on that. Yeah, he's out of the doghouse now. Sky's the limit. And maybe that affects the 49ers thinking. I'm sure it does. It might. But it might also affect Debo's thinking, especially seeing as they don't throw Ayuk in the backfield like they do. And I think it's about leverage for sure. And I know that he he saw that and he's thinking to himself, most likely, 
well, this guy's going to get an increased roll and I'm at my peak or close to it. I need to maximize this very moment before I lose any leverage that I currently have. Yeah, I, I, we definitely need more information on a definitely. Debo situation. We'll probably get a pretty good scoop over the weekend. Sure. Usually these things unfold pretty quick. I mean, Especially before the, the draft, draft, I would assume. Yeah. Like, no Especially one's going to care draft. draft time. Yeah. Um, draft is not next week. Is it next week? Uh, you know, let me check. What is it? The 28th is what I'm assuming. It's on a Thursday. Uh, mm-hmm. That is next week, a week from tomorrow. Are we uh, doing a final mock day before? We could do that. We could do that. All right, guys. Yeah, we, I mean, you just heard it. We'll yeah. do a final mock day before. We'll update the mock, do a final rundown. We got Trayvon Walker, number one. Just kidding. <laughs> Dude. I think the, right. the Jaguars are uh, saying that just to um, just to see if anyone will trade for their first overall pick. <laughs> they might not want. <laughs> Yeah, I'm beginning to think they don't. Yeah, I mean, um, that kind of brings us to our next topic. We're going to talk about some of the little narratives going about the draft that uh, we find interesting. Oh, uh, there's uh, plenty. Yeah, uh, I know. Gonna, I'm gonna just go off with the the Trayvon Walker just real quick then, since I mentioned it already. Uh, there is buzz that he's a first overall. Uh, favorite or at least candidate uh, depending who you ask and I have not seen a single NFL insider or anyone that really is plugged in that seems to echo that at all (laughs) and so it leads me to believe that what I just said a moment ago that the Jaguars um I don't know if they're directly involved in it. Maybe it's just all coming from Trayvon Walker's camp as it often does or his agent or whoever, uh, because who stands to benefit him. So would seem reasonable that that rumor is coming from there uh, in part at least. And who indirectly benefits? Possibly the Jaguars if they are like, crap, this draft isn't that great we could trade back and acquire picks for next year and get a decent enough pick this year. Um, That would be better than trying to swing for a home run and missing. So I I would, I think part of it ties into, into their plans, Uh, whether they're furthering that rumor or whether they're just sitting around and letting it propagate. Yeah, I yeah. definitely think it's the time of year where the smear campaigns begin <laughs> or the uh, enlightened uh, look at me campaigns also begin. It's basically the time of year where if your camp is noisy in a good way or if they are good at spreading positive news about you, you will get a lot of attention. And likewise, if there's one story that doesn't stick, like teams don't like, 
like Cameron keeps mentioning uh, to me, uh, Traylon Burks has a weight issue, right? <laughs> That's, and it's, it's stuff like that comes out only at this time of year, a couple yeah. weeks before the draft, a couple weeks, the week before. And the reason is always because a team likes that player and another team might like that player. You're trying so to teams, oh yeah, try to try to devalue him a little bit, try to smear their name. Oh, we hate this guy, but we really, we actually really want him. <laughs> yeah, it's that time of year. So when Trayvon Walker is getting a lot of hype to me, it just kind of seems empty. It's kind of like the uh, uh, oh, we don't know who to pick. The 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 picks available. That's that's what the Jaguars are saying. Yeah. That's what I get from that. Kind of like what Cameron was alluding to. Well, it could also be, um, and I think this is part of the, it's like two sides of the same coin that teams are kind of by, or like that's out there because t- what it's saying that teams are looking for home runs in a draft that isn't great, at least with top end players that you're sure of like they're they're like okay this guy has pretty good athletic traits he didn't have the production in college but he seems like he could boom uh and let's identify every player like that and just throw all the names out there because what we're really saying is we're looking for a home run yeah i do think though this is kind of uh, been the first time in a long time where even the lowest of the low teams don't feel so bad as they have in some years past. Like we watched the Jaguars who have the first overall pick beat the Bills. Yeah, they beat the crap out of the, the Colts last game too. Like senselessly. And Two multiple different teams. There's really not that much of a gap. I mean, uh, clearly the Jaguars have less talent. I'm not saying there's like the Jaguars are potentially a playoff team next year, like the parodies like that. But <laughs> with the limited number of games you get, you only really get one shot at a certain opponent a lot of the time. And sometimes they just have a better plan. It's that plain and simple. So I guess what I'm getting at is uh, a lot of teams are going to be willing to take risks in this draft because they feel like they're really not that far away from maybe they're the rest of their division, for example, or maybe they feel they're just outside the playoffs and they just need a little bit of a push. So I think they're going to go for, especially in a year with a lot of unproven talent, those physical traits. And that's what I, kind of and meaning by taking a risk because we all know physical traits doesn't really mean anything if you can't put it together but uh, i i, I kind of see that as the reason why the teams are all trying to gun for those home runs this year despite the lack of talent is it's the first year in a long time where the gap doesn't feel as big mm-hmm. i would say that it's where it's a year uh or at least just a time lately that 
uh, any given Sunday has gotten kind of a new meaning. You have just the worst team go out there and beat two of the top teams in a conference. And that's like, okay, like that happens. Like for real, like most sports that doesn't happen. But in this one, it very well can at any given week. Um, but yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I would say that this draft is going to be a very uh, hit or miss. <laughs> it's my impression, and there's going to be a lot of movement, maybe that we don't know about. But speaking of someone who shouldn't move out of where we have them slotted, uh. Do we have Derek Stingley to the Jets at what? Where are they at? Number six, number four. Um, I think we had. Could we have Kyle, him as Kyle Hamilton? Kyle Hamilton to him to them at first, three? and then Stingley four. at ten. At ten, okay. Well then, yeah, yeah perfect. Um, yeah, because I, I I keep and and I have it right here. Um, about Derek Stingley settling in among the top ten picks. Uh, I will let Zach explain in a moment why his draft position has experienced so much perceptive volatility. But he's gone from being a guy that we all view as definitely a top 10 to all of a sudden somehow not. And then it's the sentiment has come back around again, and now he's top 10 material once more. So, yeah, we, we clearly are buying that that rumor or that narrative yeah but. there's definitely um an idea that cameron and i have agreed on for a while about corners and it it is probably obviously besides quarterback uh the hardest position to play in football it's completely reactionary you're always backpedaling you're always at a disadvantage you know because you have to keep eyes on the player as opposed to dictating which way you're going you're following you're trailing you're reacting hence why even the most elite players at, at corner can surrender several touchdowns in a year which is not good obviously and we can still consider them elite or even the best. Jalen Ramsey, for example, gets burned in the Super Bowl. He gets burned. <laughs> We've what's seen. The, what's the viral photo of him falling down? And Jamar Chase is just so open, and that's all that's been circulating. <laughs> and yet, I will argue that Jalen Ramsey is easily the best corner in the league. I would argue that too. Yeah. That misunderstanding that people have of corners is just insane. What what is asked of corners is honestly kind of impossible. (laughs) And the fact that they even do a good job at it should be kind of given credit to because even the most average corners are kind of on most teams. Most teams don't have an elite corner. It's actually exceptionally rare. And um, look at the Bengals. Yeah, who made the Super Bowl. (laughs) 
Like, can you can we name a corner? I mean, Hilton, right? That's kind of it. He's not that good anymore. And then look at the the Buccaneers when they had Carlton Davis, and that was it. And then he went down, and they still almost made the NFC title game. It's all these uh, teams. It's kind of like. Uh, well, it's not kind of like it is one of not the least valuable position, but it is there with running back as kind of an interchangeable position, meaning like elite cornerback play is still so volatile that you can honestly get away with having average to below average corners. You could, or alternatively at most, all you do is get one really good guy a la James or Ramsey and the Rams and everyone else you just plug in a different guy whenever you need to like you just have one guy who gives you the most wins above replacement which I think Ramsey did last year at least or last couple years and they've just rotated no names around him constantly and it's worked yeah and with all that being said the way you acquire the the corners with elite traits is by drafting them in the top 10. Absolutely. Because those guys don't exist outside of the top 10. Trent McDuffie <laughs> could go higher than we think. Yeah. And you could say that, well, you're arguing that it's one of the least value positions. Why would you take, take it with the top 10 pick? My counter to that is the elite ones are so rare that when they are there, you take them with that top 10 pick. It's not like running back where it's completely interchangeable. Mm -hmm. It's just you can get away with the below average because most teams don't even have above that to begin with. So you don't really have a choice but to get away with it. So when you have a chance to get a guy like Stingley, a guy with these really high physical traits who showed a lot of volatility in college, like the position does, even at the next level, you just take him and hope that he puts it together because he has a better chance than most of the other guys just based off those traits. To to be somewhat fair, his volatility was – not as much play-wise as it was that he just wasn't available because injury. But I would agree that it doesn't matter when he showed that elite play. It, it matters that he did it all. Exactly. So it matters less when, then can he do that? And the answer for Derek Stingley Jr. is, yeah, he's pretty damn good. <laughs> Like the highest graded corner, I think, pro football focus anyway, has like ever graded in college that 2019 year. And you could say like, well, Sauce Gardner, for example, has been way more consistent, consistently graded better, never allowed a touchdown touchdown in college, (laughs) right? How is that volatile? The dude played in the American Conference, right? Mm-hmm. and look they're college athletes those guys make scholarships who am i to say that they're not good i get it 
but they're not NFL level players, especially in that conference. <laughs> most of those players don't get drafted. Most of those players don't see practice squad play. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not trying to discredit uh, Gardner. It's great what he did, but he flashed elite play. And then we see the measurables. He was faster than I thought. He was that faster was than expected. That was it. He's not as but elite as I don't see like that same like true twitchiness on tape that I see from Stingley. Mm-hmm. Like Stingley has that extra gear that he's really twitchy. And like we said, it's a reaction sport. To me, usually when Gardner's beat, he's beat. And he he's not really one to catch up. Uh, he doesn't get beat often because he's very technically sound. Mm-hmm. And then that's where you would kind of argue that Stingley is not as technically sound and relies a little bit on that athleticism. But, but when that technique is sound, because he has that athleticism that Gardner doesn't have, it's just on another level. And I would say that like some of the corners we regard very highly, uh, Marcus Peters, um, Trayvon Diggs, some of these guys, JC Jackson kind of, uh, that all, these guys have just racked up interceptions and that's what matters is that they rack up takeaways. Like they, they kind of screw up in coverage like really bad sometimes. But that doesn't matter because they provide so much value with takeaways that and they can make up for all their losses sometimes, but with their athleticism like Stingley could, even if they're not as technically sound, they'll just sell out sometimes and get the pick that changes a game and wins you a matchup that is like really critical. I would say to to picture it like this, the way that we're suggesting a guy like Derek Stingley, Jalen Ramsey, Marcus Peters, those guys play corner is more of an offensive way to play corner. They're actively seeking the ball as opposed Mm -hmm. to solely playing pure reactionary, trying to be the best technique wise. That's more of the way I see Gardner play is more. Don't let him beat you to begin with. He doesn't necessarily take as many risks like those other guys do to make that big play because yeah, because he can't afford to get beat. He doesn't have that second gear that I've seen the other guys have. And uh, those other guys, a lot of the time will kind of play bad coverage on purpose to try to bait a throw. And, you know, sometimes it bites them bad. Well, we see Jalen Ramsey get beat quite a bit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and Marcus Peters like yeah like it, it it is satisfying to see a corner that's so technically sound and they're consistent but when you have a game-changing kind of player that is really good and has that upside of getting takeaways because they take risks I I haven't watched as much Stingley tape as I need to to be honest but and so I'm not saying that that's innately the kind of player he is, but if that's your knock on him, 
is that or that's the reason you would take sauce over him is that he's more technically sound lower risk more of a, a sure pick um and you're not your knock on stingley is that he's not that because of his coverage uh being not as sound he brings so much more to the table that gardner can ever bring with his just upside and other with related to his athleticism yeah and isn't that kind of what the draft's all about i mean mm -hmm. i i'd rather my team pick the player with that crazy eye ceiling even if it feels risky because you know it gives you a little bit of hope your team's willing to take a risk and sometimes that's awesome you know i mean there's obviously some risks that fans hate <laughs> but it kind of does feel a little invigorating when a team is going after a risky guy because they believe in him, you know? Mm -hmm. And it backfires a lot. I mean, we've seen the Jamarcus Russells of the world, the Blake Bortles of the world, like yeah. Trubisky's of the world, yeah. where the fan base never embraces them. But, you know, there's also been quite a bit of other success stories in the past, like Josh Allen, Matt Stafford. Guys who go to these disenchanted franchises and really just turn <laughs> away the perception of quarterback play <laughs> since forever. Yeah, it, and one more, um, speaking of, uh, yeah, one more narrative that I wanted to bring up was the something I, I just kind of like in my head. Uh, Desmond Ritter and Steelers make a match. <laughs> like it, I said this beforehand, but if Mike Tomlin were to go up to the podium uh, after they draft him, if, if that is what happens, uh, and says that Desmond Ritter is the type of guy he wants his daughter to marry, <laughs> uh, I think that would be every Steeler fan's wet dream. <laughs> Yeah, he just feels like a Steeler kind of guy. He would be great, right? Yeah, I think it is a culture that might be able to rein in a little bit of his erraticness. So, I mean, I, mean, I think it's like, a better fit. Seems like he would be the guy that would do fairly well in a stable organization that doesn't change too much or too quickly. Like, Cincinnati kind of felt like at least with Luke Fickle there, that they were really stable and that they had an outlook really for long-term success uh, with like a lot of the same guys, uh, at least coaching-wise. And that's basically the Steelers. Yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, Ritter is definitely the type of prospect that if he lands in a situation that is not as stable, I don't think he's going to find a lot of success. You um, put him on, like, the Panthers, I'm sorry. Like, he's not going to be good. <laughs> no, I agree. I don't, I don't see the coaching staff as the Panthers as one with enough experience to kind of hone in a guy that's more of a project. And don't get me wrong, Malik Willis is – a project in his own right, but I'd say he his upside and tools are just flat out better than Ritter. Yeah, I like that for them, honestly. I mean, at least a little hope would be would be great. Yeah, 
And uh, McAdoo has had some success back in the day as an OC. So we'll see how that how that goes. Although his stand as head coach was very, very uninspiring. It was uh, the Giants, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah, burned it to back of the memory there. Uh, he did at least he did better than Joe Judge. Oh, but yeah, I guess man. that's not saying much. <laughs> um, special teams coach as your head coach, what could go wrong? But yeah, I definitely think Ritter fits Pittsburgh because they kind of are that stable environment that can be a little patient with him. We know they brought Seems in Trubisky. Like the culture. Yeah, and I I fully expect Trubisky to be the starter day one over there next season. Mm-hmm. Um. Then they got Ritter right behind them. I mean, who knows? It could have possibly been Haskins. Rest in peace to that guy. I know yeah. he was kind of favorite. Like he had a lot of uh, love in that locker room from that team and coaching staff. So we mm-hmm. might have been able to even see him get a chance at that quarterback spot last year or next. Would have been interesting but, uh, to see. You know, uh, with that him unfortunately passing i do think that trubisky is for sure in the lead for that role but yeah, uh, can... a guy like ritter could could learn yeah while they win eight or nine games you know yeah and i mean the average fan won't think that uh trubisky has much to offer in terms of a leadership role or a mentorship role but think about it this guy's made two playoff appearances as a starter made a pro bowl. He's been around the league for quite a while now. Um, And he's definitely been around a lot more than most. And I actually, I kind of like him in that role. I think that's a really good fit right there. So I think Ritter would be in a good spot if he lands in Pittsburgh. I think that it's really conducive environment for him to be successful. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I, ho- I hope that that narrative comes to uh, fruition. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. All, that's all the ones I got. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I guess I'll touch again a little bit on uh, Malik Willis. I fully yeah. expect him to be the first quarterback taken and hopefully by Carolina. Uh, he's the only guy that gives me any a little bit of hope. Uh, there was one point earlier in the year where I kind of liked Kenny Pickett, but hey, I've been hearing a lot and, of bad, bad things on him. Yeah, the more I look at his tape, the more I look at the concerns that he does have. Look, small hands isn't a make all break all, but if it's not a thing, then why make the exception? I just don't think he's ready. I don't think he's yeah. coming in and, and lighting it up. But I think I, I, Willis at least flashes more early on. I see Kenny Pickett is more of a Mac Jones type. Like he's going to play a lot of conservative ball, not going to force a lot of things his rookie year. But that's not going to be inspiring, especially if, for a team like Carolina where they're in a little bit of a rut especially ever since we made the Super Bowl in 2015. It's like we kind of haven't been able to get on our feet since. Yeah, happens. And uh, Malik Willis just offers a little bit of hope. Even if he has a pretty rough first year, but there's those flashes, 
Um, that is just way more exciting as a fan than Kenny Pickett throwing like 11 touchdowns to six picks. I'm just saying that if you've looked at his stats last year, they're absolutely insane. Weren't they like 42 touchdowns or something, like seven picks? But, For a and like, yeah, and like I want to say well above 4,000 yards. Um, I don't know if you're looking it up. I, like I, I could have sworn it was like insane numbers if you look at it. But at the, it's interesting that at the same time he was doing that, we're all still not that high on him. So what does that tell you? Yeah, he's just and I not know that good. There has been kind of a trend of one-year college wonders getting picked high. I mean, yeah, Joe Burrow was Brandon Whedon, classic example. <laughs> uh, Trubisky, <laughs> yeah, Whedon. Yeah, um, I'm just guys saying, that he did did good one for one year, and then the the Browns did what no one thought any team could do and pick an almost 30 year old in the first round <laughs> yeah then there's guys like uh blake bortles dude had yeah. a great fiesta bowl and went to the third overall pick uh from second rounder mm-hmm. so there's that uh trubisky is a guy who all of a sudden grabbed a ton of traction over deshaun watson uh from one good year and I don't even think he played uh, before his year that he had. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of guys that are risers like that, but Pickett to me doesn't feel like those guys. Those guys all kind of in their own way had a a big arm or a huge frame. Uh, there wasn't like these kind of silly concerns like Kenny Pickett, like, we shouldn't have to be talking about your hands being too small. They should just be the right size if you're a you good know prospect. What it, you know what it kind of seems like to me, like an everyday example? It's like if you're dating, it's like the one that's like, yeah, they're cool, but they're not great. <laughs> that's what Kenny Pickett is. Because yeah. <laughs> we're like, oh, he's pretty cool, but we're all like hesitating like on really being like all in on, on Kenny Pickett. And I think that in and of itself is notable. So go. Yeah. I think there's just kind of a, there's an, there's an factor missing that like, he's just not, he's not like the cool, calm, sly, like Joe Burrow kind of confident. He's kind of, it's not the same. So I, I don't like that comparison. I know a lot of – I've been seeing a lot of that comparison in comment sections and the like, and it's not, it's not a good comparison. It's not at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, uh, Kenny Pickett's arm also, to me, is a little uninspiring. I, I just – when there's guys in the draft – I mean, we were talking about Raider earlier, and Malik Willis – uh, both have really powerful arms and the velocity that they throw with is just, it's on a level that Kenny Pickett probably will never get to. So well, why, why settle? You know, this is a draft of uncertainty. Just go with the highest ceiling, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that, I think that's just kind of what it boils down to this year. And I uh, just really hope the Panthers do that. 
Yeah, that's why I also have a, a sneaking suspicion that the Kayvon Thibodeau still might go over Aiden Hutchinson just because of that. Uh, just teams are swinging for the fences this year, or at least that's the, the idea we're led to believe. Yeah, I I can see it. You know, I the Jags seem unsure. Uh, it seems like they just don't want Hutchinson for some reason. Hey, you know, when you're unsure, you know what you do? Draft a tackle. <laughs> 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 no, yeah, I don't think they'll pick Hutchinson either. No, by by virtue of our mock. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's all I wanted to cover when it comes to the draft. Yeah, I mean, we had a, a good uh, list of current narratives we're just combing through, and uh, that's kind of where we're at <laughs> the week before the draft, really, is uh, just trying to read between the lines on all every single article you see out there. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so we'll uh, we got it. Yeah, we'll uh, get that mock for you guys next week. And uh, you want to take us out? Yeah. Night. Peace. Peace. Check us out on Instagram at Fraternal Football Podcast. Twitter coming soon. We're getting the social media presence going. Also. We are on like eight different podcasting services, including Spotify, which you're most likely listening to, Apple Podcasts now, Stitcher, uh, like five more. Check us out on a variety. Uh, We got stickers everywhere. Slide into our DMs on social media. Engage. Maybe you want to be on the show. Let us know. We're out there and we're available. Also, if you like the content you hear in this podcast, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. If there's ability to rate, go ahead and give us all those stars. We appreciate you for it. This episode is brought to you by HowToPest. Go to howtopest.com for your pest control needs. They're absolutely crushing it. What are you waiting for? This has been Fraternal Football. Cam and Zach signing off.